The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. We continue the conversation on The Talking Point. It's 12 after 11 o'clock, and thank you so much for tuning into the show. Yeah, reflecting on that conversation that we had in the last hour, I think there's still so much that um, we can learn, right? There are things that have been done before that have worked when trying to bring about change. And it, it, it's worth it. It's worth it for us to, to revisit some of those strategies. It's worth it for us to take the time to understand how did these people get this right? What is it that we can take uh, from, from their lived experience that we can also do today in trying to change and transform the world that, that, that we live in. And then you heard there, sustained efforts. So it's not just about protesting one day or two days, but how long can you keep that struggle going? How long and how far does, does your commitment go to that cause? So if you've got time, uh, go down to the Apartheid Museum. And of course, if you're in Gauteng, but, you know, if you're out of the province, maybe you want to take a drive down or in a position to fly down, please do. Uh, I think a a very uh, important exhibition being held there. So for the final hour of the show, we're turning our attention to the work that uh, has been done by the Al Jazeera Investigative Unit. And this is looking at illicit financial flows and just how money is being laundered um, you know, in, on various parts of the continent to different parts of the world, particularly through gold trade. And all of it uh, really highlighted in uh, the a documentary, a four-part series that uh, was aired by Al Jazeera a gold mafia really being exposed in that documentary. Alexandra James is the lead investigator at the Al Jazeera Investigative Units and one of uh, the producers of the gold mafia. Alexandra, good morning to you. Thank you so much for making time to speak to us. Thanks very much for having me on your show, Kathy. Paul Holden is the Director of Investigations at Shadow World Investigations and also contributor in the Gold Mafia documentary. Paul, good morning to you. Morning. Thanks, Cathy, for having me. I, I think, you know, Alexandra, looking at the, 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 the work that you and the team of journalists that you were working with compiled, I mean, it is absolutely jaw-dropping. And firstly, just congratulations on how you were able to run such an effective investigation um, into this world. Let's begin with with where it all started for you. Well, thank you. And and yes, I can't stress enough like how much of a team effort this investigation is. It rely it it was the best part of four and a half years worth of work. Um, and involved undercover work, uh, so undercover filming with an incredibly talented team of, uh, of undercover reporters. Uh, and then also uh, a lot of our evidence came through documents, uh, thousands and thousands of documents that needed to be painstakingly uh, pulled apart and 
and when you're dealing with uh, money laundering and corruption like this, the, the the story isn't immediately obvious from the documents themselves. You need to um, understand the story behind them and why they were created and how they were created. And, and that, again, speaks to the sources that we were able to meet as part of this investigation, people who were part of the, the money laundering operations themselves and, uh, and decided to, to go on the record and, uh, and reveal the truth of what's happening. Um, so, so Gold Mafia, for, for your listeners that, that aren't aware, as you said in the introduction, it's a four-part series, but it really looked at uh, how uh, billions of rand was moved out of Southern Africa uh, using the gold trade. Um, and it all began for us really in Zimbabwe. Uh, at Harare Airport, where we we had understood we'd been given a, a tip off from a source that the the airport was a a centre for the movement of contraband out of Zimbabwe. So not just gold, but diamonds, uh, um, ivory, animal product, things like that, and uh, and we started acting on on some of this information. And eventually, uh, our undercover reporters got to speak to a. Uh, a, a, a man called Moses, Moses Nango, who worked for South African Airways there. And he told them about this gold smuggling operation, uh, which involved a, a series of couriers uh, making return trips from Harare to Dubai, carrying uh, backpacks full of gold. And this was uh, a gold deal supposedly sanctioned by the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe. And the couriers were, were getting literally getting on a flight arriving in Dubai, delivering the gold, and then an hour or so later, returning on the next flight back to Harare, picking up another consignment of gold and doing this again. And so we decided this needed further investigation. This is not how a reserve bank trades its gold on the international market. And we uh, were able to, he, he gave several names uh, of, of runners connected with this operation. We were able to obtain uh, uh, flight manifests so we could we could see the pattern of travel was indeed what Moses was saying um, and we started a surveillance operation as well and we're able to identify uh, these men coming back and forth and, and it also provided the springboard for the, the rest of the investigation in some senses as well because uh, we, we not only learned about the, the man funding uh, this gold smuggling operation, uh, Simon Rudland uh, was the name given to us by, by Moses, but picking apart the, the flight data as well, we, we, we saw other uh, other couriers at work and questioned, well, who, who do they work for? And that, that led us to Kamlesh Patney, another key figure in the gold mafia. So so I suppose to go back to your, your question in a sense, that was, I suppose, the origin of, of the investigation. But it really yeah. opened up a, a sequence of uh, evidence that we just started to, to unpick and eventually led us to um, to other characters and other uh, key figures in the mafia. So, so, Alexander, by the sounds of it, you got a lot more than you initially bargained for when going into this investigation. Well, it's true. I mean, you know, we, do, we don't start these investigations necessarily from a, a I guess, a macro hypothesis. You know, we, we understood that huge amounts of uh, of smug smuggling was taking place in Zimbabwe. Uh, we understood that gold was a a, a vehicle for uh, illicit financial flows. That's been well reported on in the past, um, in particular with regards to the gold industry in Dubai. 
but yeah, we, we had we had really no idea that the evidence would lead us quite where it did. And and I think probably, you know, that the moment where it sort of it pivoted to South Africa, because we ended up following the, the money flow, following these these gold, um, these gold exports, uh, which were being funded by a, a Dubai based company. But the money for uh, to that company was coming from South Africa and was coming from uh, this money launderer uh, who we call Mo Dollars um, in the film. He's known as Mo Dollars by his um, but by his associates. And, uh, and and he was funneling huge amounts of money into this company on behalf of Simon Rudland, um, but also working for m- many, many other uh, clients uh, in South Africa who want to move their money overseas uh, out of sight of the uh, out of sight of the central bank. So it it really did open up a sort of a whole world of of illicit financial mm-hmm. flows and money laundering. And, and how long did the investigation take, Alexander? So it took us about four and a half years. Sure. Um, I, I would say I would say acts of God uh, played a certain role in that. You know, we had a COVID pandemic in in the middle of it but again that in its own way i feel opened up uh, opportunities for our investigation to go that bit further it was sort of at, towards the end of the the covid pan or just as the the restrictions were easing at the end of 2021 where we were able to have uh, some of our undercover meetings with the zimbabwean ambassador Hubert angel for example uh, where he was in that he was in the UK for a, uh, a a climate a UN climate conference, which was really the, the first big international conference since the pandemic. So all the global heads of state were there. Uh, it was it was a major major event, and I think he was he was there. He was eager to do business. He was eager to find ways to 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 launder corrupt money, and um, and it presented an opportunity in that regard for for our undercover reporters. You know, it, it, when you look, when you talk about the, those undercover meetings that took place in in London, Alex, one of the things that was clear in the documentary was that um, the work that was the being done, was even being by done, this ambassador um, of of the president, to set up these networks to facilitate that these transactions take place there was really you know there, there was no shame about it he was just so you know brazen about it all and one could see that he was very comfortable uh, in doing what he was doing the fact that he was saying as much in in the in the meetings as he did um to me uh you know that that, that was quite startling because i thought well surely if if you're a posi- person in this position, even when you're involved in criminality, there must be a sense that you at least you know you don't want it as out there as 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 as, as at least we saw in in the documentary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you would expect him to do the the bare minimum of of checks as well uh, on his uh, supposed clients so um yeah our undercover reporters were posing as chinese gangsters uh, who needed to launder huge amounts of money out of uh, hong kong and were looking for a way to do that and by this point we understood that gold provided a very uh, convenient way uh, to to launder money and zimbabwe in particular because of the reliance on the us dollars cash uh, it's a cash economy so it, it provided a uh, you know a, a perfect 
way for for laundering laundering the cash that that, that was the service that we were after and we we made an approach to uh, the ambassador through his official channels so through his official website uh, and within hours of the first meeting he was uh, he was making phone calls opening up uh, these these prospective channels and uh, and yeah i suppose it goes to show also that that money talks when it came to these undercover uh, meetings i feel in our first meetings we we always came away from them thinking we've we pitched ourselves too low here we're talk we were talking in the you know 50 million mark 100 million mark but it was it, it was the the question uh, the, or the response we were always getting was uh, was, was always yes yes that's doable uh, when can we do more uh, so in these meetings we decided let's go all in let's let's say we want to launder uh, 1.2 billion dollars that's what we've got uh, how can we do that and both Angel and his associates, Ricky Doolin in particular, understood that the money was was dirty money, and they immediately looked for ways to uh, not only help us launder that money, but explain very very quickly that the way to to get something done was to get the president on board, and a meeting with the president would uh, sort that out and a facilitation fee, a bribe, needed to be paid uh, of $200,000 to get the ball rolling. So they can they, they continue to push for this meeting as being the, the, the point that would open all of this up. Yeah. So it, it was it was amazing seeing how brazen he was and uh, how open he was about uh, ab- about making this money laundering operation happen. And and he really did uh, as the meetings progressed go and pull he pulled out all the stops really to make sure that it would happen. <laughs> yeah, it, it was good for you in terms of the visuals, uh, Paul. I, I want to I want to bring you in here. The, mm-hmm. the conversation around illicit financial flows is something that you have been watching for for years. You've written uh, books talking about just the lack of controls, talking about state capture, and in fact, uh, just what state capture is and when it likely began, and you trace it all the way to even pre-democracy. Being part of this project, I think initially, what what what, what was your thinking going into it? What, what did you expect um, to, 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 to have come out of it? And, and when you saw the final result, um, did you think that things were perhaps worse than, than maybe you've seen in, in the work and the research you've done? So I mean, I got I got involved with the project. Um, um, first met Alex uh, in a, a summary pub garden, I think it was in London, probably about two years ago. Um, and and he came and he said, you know, have you ever heard of this particular company which showed up on the Gupta leaks? And I said, well, I've sort of heard about it a little bit. Uh, and then he started mentioning a whole range of other companies that he'd come across uh, in his own investigation. And I was astonishing. My ears were burning because. We just discovered a whole raft of these companies being used um, by the Guptas in state capture stuff. So, for those that don't know, the viewers who don't know, I worked with the Commission of Inquiry, the Zonda Commission of Inquiry, for about a year and a half, um, trying to trace all of the money that was stolen through state capture. And a big part of that task was following the money that was paid um, to companies like Regiments um, and to Trillion. Uh, through state capture and how that money then moved you know through south africa and out of the country how it was laundered 
And it was this incredibly complex process where we worked this, you know, I worked with a team of, of investigators at the commission. I think it was about 10 people in the flow of funds team who were subpoenaing bank statements and summoning stuff. Um, and we just started tracing this money and it went into this network that we were, I think we were quite astonished by. Um, we were astonished by the size of it. Um, you know, we initially thought that what we'd, we'd find is, you know, prior to 20, I'd say 2012, the Guptas ran their own money laundering networks in South Africa and Dubai. They weren't particularly sophisticated, but then suddenly it changes altogether. And you see this money from the Guptas going into this other huge stream of money that's running through South African banks and then into this enormous money laundering network in, in Hong Kong and Dubai. Um, and what the Al Jazeera investigation did, I think, was confirm, you know, we started thinking, you know, why are these accounts showing up? Why is it following this pattern? And, and the Al Jazeera investigation really helped us narrow down our understanding of that this was a, a specific money laundering network run by a money launderer who provided services to a whole range of different people. Um, and, you know, what we found was just the scale of money leaving South Africa through these sorts of networks was just, you know, it was really just utterly astonishing. Um, we found this one company, for example, which wasn't necessarily linked to, to Modalis, but was used by the Guptas, that moved seven and a half billion rand out of South Africa in less than a year. And it's just, Se it's seven just and a half billion rand, you say, Paul? <laughs> That's right. Seven and a half billion rand in, in less than a year. And almost all of that money was was criminally sourced. A lot of it was from um, Chinese organized crime in South Africa, which was an intermingling with state capture money. I mean, the scale of these these movements are, are really quite quite something. I don't think we really had a grasp on it until we started looking at the raw figures. Um, and it was just, you know, it was it's really disturbing stuff. The one thing about some of these figures is that they're hard to to comprehend, and and, and I, I'm going to continue, uh, you know, just on on, the, on this wavelength actually, uh, with both Paul and Alexander. It's now eleven thirty. Time for the latest headlines. Kathy Mosasana on SAFM. We continue the conversation on the talking point. We're looking at the illicit outflows of money out of not just South Africa, but the Southern African region, really, and all of it being so clearly highlighted through this Gold Mafia documentary series that was produced by the Al Jazeera Investigative Unit. Alexander James is the lead investigator there. Paul Holden is director of investigations at Shadow World Investigations, also a contributor to the documentary series Gold Mafia. Paul, I was saying that the figures that are, are spoken about, you talk about 7.5 billion rand, leaving South Africa illegally in a space of a year. Um, if I recall correctly, Alexander, your investigators wanted to smuggle uh, one billion U or wanted to move one billion US dollars. That is not a small amount of money. Difficult to see how this kind of activity can take place under the radar, completely undetected by all of the investigating bodies that we have by SARS, by customs. Paul, you know, it's either we believe that our institutions are completely incapable or we have to accept that there is collusion, there is corruption uh, in every single one of them that should have and would have picked this up. 
Mm. I mean, I think there's, you know, I think the first thing we have to acknowledge is that is that the, the criminals that are that are, are doing this are doing everything they can um, to um, to hide their tracks as much as possible using as, as many techniques as they can. Um, but what was quite interesting was that in terms of the state capture stuff, you know, in South Africa, when the money when the money was leaving South Africa, that was actually being picked up by the Reserve Bank. And that was one thing we found quite interesting was that um, we started following this money. We went into these companies and suddenly it turned up the Reserve Bank had been investigating quite a few of these companies for quite a while, had already taken enforcement action on them. Um, the problem was that, you know, why the Zonda Commission was this amazing thing was because it became this like centralized node where all of the intelligence from the whole financial sector could be pooled into one place and suddenly you could start seeing patterns. So, you know, what was remarkable to me was we, when we went to the Reserve Bank and requested these companies, they didn't know that these companies they'd been investigating were actually handling state capture money because there hadn't been a, a connecting of the two dots. So there was some element of, of, um, of, of protection from the Reserve Bank side. I think the difficulty came was, you know, the Reserve Bank has certain enforcement powers. They can basically seize money, but they can't bring a criminal charge. And they have to rely on on effectively the Hawks and the MPA to do that. And that's where everything fell apart. Um, and I think that's sort of the story of state capture, really, is that you you had individual bodies that, that were doing a, a decent-ish job, um, but as soon as a matter was referred to the Hawks and, and to the MPA, it all just fell apart and, and nothing was done and nothing was pursued. And I think we're seeing that now with the um, with the, the recent ESCOM, ESCOM allegations as well. So there is a real concern that that the with the creation of the Hawks uh, and and the capture of the MPA, which was pretty total under Jacob Zuma, that there was just no there's no willpower, there's no capacity um, to, to pursue stuff that other people were picking up. But what I will say, I think one point that I, I made at the commission, I'm a little bit disappointed the Zonda Commission didn't run with this point a bit, a bit stronger is that I think there's a real failure on the part of South African banks here. Um, there were some accounts that I saw where there was money moving through them, which is just not explicable uh, unless it's criminal activity or money laundering. You'd, you'd have a company that has basically no physical presence, has no online presence, and is, and is handling just vast sums of money every day. Um, and it, it, you know, it seems to me that there was more of a duty on the banks than to just report it to the Financial Intelligence Center you know, there were some sort of proactive steps that could have been made to prevent that money laundering. And I think um, it's one of the things that I'd really like to emphasize going forward is that, is that South African banks in particular have a role in, in, in failing to disrupt those networks locally. And then internationally, I think this is really key, where the money went out, um, where it didn't go to Dubai, where it went to Hong Kong and China, which is another part of this money laundering scheme, it went into what we now know as a pre-existing money laundering network effectively run mostly out of HSBC. Um, and HSBC knew about this network and it doesn't seem to have taken a huge amount of, of steps to disrupt it. So you know, I think the banking system as a whole has a lot of questions to answer about how, how this money can move so quickly uh, without detection. And and we saw part of that, Alexander, where in this documentary series, of course, you have employees of banks on the payroll of uh, some of um, these individuals that are leading these operations, but going as far as to even alter um, the bank records, delete transactions. Uh, that for me was, was yeah, it was again unbelievable. And I want to hear from you uh, in a moment just 
what was it that um, that came out of the investigation for those individuals that you were able to 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 track in the banks, part of the banking system that were enabling all of this corruption to take place. But uh, I'll get Alex's answer after this break. SAFM, leading the conversation. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. We continue leading the conversation on SAFM. Alexander James still on the line with us, lead investigator for the Al Jazeera Investigative Unit and Paul Holden, Director of Investigations at Shadow World Investigations. Alexander, please, let's elaborate on this involvement of individuals at banks um, that also are part of the problem when it comes to this money laundering. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the success of the Mo Dollars money laundering network hinged on two things, really. One was the the number of companies they used to launder this money. Uh, as Paul alluded to earlier, there was there were so, so many companies, um, not just through the laundering of state capture fund, but in it, it managed by, by Mo Dollars too, that uh, that moved the, the illicit float money between them before moving it offshore, moved it offshore to different companies and, and the scale of the Hong Kong uh, China uh, network, which the companies are paying into, is also massive. So that's, you know, the, the scale of it makes it inevitably hard to track. But the influence that Mo Dollars was able to exert within banks was key to their success as a money laundering operation. And this was, it, it wasn't it, bribing everybody in the bank, it was pe- targeted payments, targeted influence to individuals that could help get things done. So usually these were people in the uh, foreign payments processing parts of the banks and targeting smaller banks too. Sasfin Bank was a center of uh, of Mo Dollar's money laundering operation. Habib Overseas Bank, another important bank in his money laundering network. But there's also as well, we saw payments to uh, figures at Standard Bank, uh, ABSA, bank uh, so really it, it he was able to influence people in uh, all the major south african banks uh, and they their role was to either help push through payments uh help complete uh compliance uh paperwork that to reassure the reserve bank that the uh, operations of this company which was as uh, as Mahoud dollar's ex-wife calls them ghost companies uh, that have no real purpose no real business other than to receive and move money uh and uh and then we we also saw at sassin bank too that uh, an it technician was also on the payroll his job was to, to physically remove uh the transactions from the bank's internal reporting system and really what opened all of this up as well for us is is talking to Dawood khan uh mo dollar's brother who had a front row seat for uh, the, the money laundering operation, whose job it was to uh, be a go between between Mo Dollars and, and some of the, the uh, figures in the banks, but also help construct the paperwork, uh, construct the veneer of credibility, whether that's invoices or uh, or business agreements, things that 
provide a bit of paperwork so when the reserve bank comes knocking uh, they can provide it and say look this is a perfectly legitimate company that we're moving their assets for so it was amazing to to get that insight mm. into this this network and how it works and how really exerting a, a, a relatively small amount of influence on targeted people could open up the banking system for them this is corruption and illegal activity that involves powerful people, it involves powerful politicians, people with lots of money, Alexander. What has come out of this investigation since you've aired that documentary? What has happened? I mean, there's been some interesting reactions and and promises to act, promises to investigate uh, on the Zimbabwean side. Apparently, they already have investigated uh, in the the four or so weeks since the investigation. Uh, aired. The Reserve Bank has said that there's they have unfrozen the assets of the gold mafia, um, and the Speaker of Parliament says it's not Parliament's place to um, to uh, continue with its own in, inquiry. It would be improper for them to do so. So. I would say in Zimbabwe, there is uh, a, a, clearly a picture building. These are allegations. Well, this is evidence that they want to sweep under the carpet, that they want to under the rug. And and in South Africa, you had um, uh, President Ramaphosa saying that uh, there was an investigation on ongoing. So there's 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 a lot of a lot of talk on that. There's also actually been uh, I, I should say um, a statement raised in the UK Parliament too uh, on the gold mafia, urging the the UK authorities to get involved, and uh, in particular regards to uh, Ambassador Angel Kamlesh Patney. Uh, the, you know these are people with UK passports, UK assets, UK residents, and it's I, I think what really if there is to be any meaningful action on the gold mafia. It needs to be international. It needs to be coordinated because, it, while as the money and the wealth is flowing out of Southern Africa, out of South Africa, out of Zimbabwe, it's being laundered through uh, Dubai, Hong Kong, and ending up in uh, the international financial systems, in, sure. ending up in property mm-hmm. in the UK. So that's it, it uh, or or indeed the United States as well. So it needs it needs a, a global uh, approach to this because. Um, Nothing will happen if uh, if it's not coordinated. Paul, the phrase "nothing will happen," um, unfortunately, is something that we're all too familiar with in in South Africa. And by way of the State Capture Commission, we talked about corruption in this country. The State Capture Commission brought it to the fore, and yet today we still have. I think the one trial that was going to get underway linked to uh, state capture has fallen apart in the free state. There just does not seem to be any interest where prosecutions are concerned. Yeah, I think it's very hard to tell without being sort of in the room what's going on in these cases. The, the, The case that you referred to, in the free state is just extremely disappointing. Um, I think a lot of South Africans, when they read that news, their heart sank because, you know, we don't know precisely what happened behind the scenes, but the way in which the, the case was run in the courts was was pretty bad. Um, and 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 sort of errors that were made that we we just I, I struggle to understand. So, you know, one of the key issues in that case was that. Um, the state wasn't ready to argue that the Gupta leaks were authentic. 
the Gupta leaks came out seven years ago, and you'd expect there to be some sort of authentication by now. Um, so that is, you know, extremely frustrating that it hasn't happened. Um, it's sometimes very hard to tell whether that's a that's an issue of political will or just competence. And I think what we do have to bear in mind is that, you know, from about, you know, really from about 2009 onwards, there was a a very dedicated and and focused attempt to destroy the capacity of the state to prosecute corruption in particular. So I remember speaking to somebody recently in law enforcement in South Africa, and they mentioned to me, you know, there is there has not been a corruption case of any magnitude and size run in South Africa since the Shabir Sheikh trial, which is back in you know 2005. Um, people just there is no experience in the MPA of running these these particularly relative, I mean, I think the New Lane case is quite simple, but but relatively complex financial crime cases. So there's been a total destruction of capacity um, within the MPA, which the MPA slowly has to build up and create and and find people who are willing to become those prosecutors who who, who sort of forge a path forward. All right. Um, um, so that's I think that's where we are right now. All right. Unfortunately, we'll have to leave it there, Paul Holden. Uh, thank you for your time alongside Alexander James, helping us uh, look closer at the issue of illicit financial flows uh, in the Southern African region. And again, fantastic work done by Al Jazeera on this one. Uh, go on to YouTube. It is available on YouTube. You don't have to pay anything to watch this documentary. It's had millions of views as a four-part docuseries. Gold Mafia, that's what it's called. That's what you'll be looking for. That's where we leave things for today. Up next is the book reading.